song and praise. Let's turn to the Word now, and I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And by the way, this is kind of, this, this is the thrust of the passage, the chief exhortation in this passage, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace of God, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. I'm going to stop right there. And as we look at this passage, there are many exhortations that come to us. To us. The emphasis is in verse 1, where we are called to present our bodies as a sacrifice unto God. That is kind of the emphasis. And then, for the whole rest of the passage, even into chapter 13, we have a series of participles. A series of participles. And then you say, Pastor, what in the world is a participle? Well, it's a grammatical construction. In English, we might say some kind of gerund phrase, a gerund phrase, something like that. This is what's happening in this chapter of Romans, and it kind of sets the stage for all of the things that Paul is exhorting us as believers to do that is linked to serving the Lord. To give you an example of what this looks like, it would be if, if I said something like, cook dinner, I want you to cook dinner by, now here are all the phrases, gathering your ingredients, following your recipe, serving the food, cleaning everything. So you see what the connection is. You, you have the main exhortation, the main thrust, cook the dinner, followed by all of these parts that are linked to it. This is what's happening in our passage. So here, we see that being a Christian and living for Jesus involves uh, giving of ourselves or serving the Lord, presenting ourselves to the Lord uh, in uh, living for him by all of these things that follow in this passage. And he just goes one right after another, after another, after another through the whole, the whole section of Scripture. So last week, part of what we were um, taught by Colin when he preached was from verses 9 through, um, I think, 11, where we we learned that our love was to be genuine. Our love for others is to be genuine. And our love is to, uh, to 
set the affections that we have on the, other, on the people that are around us. That is a part of what serving the Lord is. And so we continue to go forward, and I want to focus on two things as we move through this passage, and the first one is found in verse 11. So in verse 11, it says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so I want to look at this exhortation this morning. Now the chapter, like I said, began in chapter 12, verse 1. It began with the exhortation to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So that's, that's kind of the, the key. That's what we're talking about, serving the Lord by presenting ourselves as a li- living sacrifice. It is the linchpin of the passage. And then as we move through this, we see different things. He says, do this, don't be conformed don't uh, conform to the world, but be transformed the by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove the will of God. And then he talks about using your gifts within the service of the Lord in the church. And then having genuine love for those that you serve, like we learned last week. And now do it with a zeal. Be moved for the Lord. Moved uh, with a zeal and a passion within your hearts. And this is an important part of what serving the Lord is, and I'll talk some more about it as we go forward. So this is our verse, verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent, and that's the word I want to focus in on for a moment. The word fervent means to well up, to bubble, or to boil. To well up, to bubble, or to boil. To show eagerness and enthusiasm. To be stirred up emotionally. You say, Pastor, well, isn't the emotions, aren't they like really bad and we're not supposed to rely on our emotions and can't trust our emotions and they're, you know, we got to stifle our emotions. Well, I, I don't believe that that's accurate and I don't think that that's kind of a good approach to understand what the emotions are. Uh, no, maybe we can't trust our emotions, but neither can we trust our thinking. Both our thinking and our emotions have been touched by sin. And so everything has to be brought into the understanding of Christ and the truth of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, in the first three verses, there were a number of, of references to how we think and how we're supposed to transform our thinking to the truth. And so we're to adjust our thinking. And even as we uh, consider the way that we think, we also have to uh, adjust our emotions or allow our emotions to be used. For our God, our God created our minds, and he also created our emotions. And so they're not, one's not any better or worse than the other. They all have their place in who we are. And so in this passage here, moving away from how we're to transform the way that we think, we come to this part where it says and encourages us to be fervent in spirit, to show eagerness and enthusiasm, to be stirred up emotionally. Now, I have to admit, that's pretty hard for me. Uh, if I had to like uh, ask myself, am I the intellectual type, the thinking type, or am I the emotional type? Well, I don't even have to think about it. I'm the thinking type, not the emotional type. Emotional, I'm like this. Why are some of you guys are like this? You know, right? You, you, you get me? This is not me. I'm not like this. I'm like this. And, uh, and so this one is, uh, this is the one where I have to look at it and say, okay, all right, I got to stir myself up here emotionally in my spirit. And, and this is what it's telling us to do. Be fervent in spirit. You know, allow yourself to bubble over emotionally. And this is an important part of who we are. Now, um, 
It says, be fervent in spirit. And there's a question. Is this the Holy Spirit? Be fervent in capital S, spirit? Or is it our spirit, our, you know, what's going on inside? Our spirit. And so there's a question. And I'm not exactly sure which one it's supposed to be. So I'm going to just kind of share both of them. I think it's linked in some way. So it really doesn't matter too much where we fall. I kind of lean to the first one that this is, be passionate in your spirit. I think this is what it's telling us to do. That's where I lean. So, We have to consider what this means to be fervent in spirit. This means that there is a proper response or a proper result or reaction to being touched by the Lord. Now, can we all agree that being touched by the Lord is a good thing, right? Yes, amen. It is a great thing. And we see in Scripture those who are touched by the Lord really have this amazing reaction. Let me give you one example. This is Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, and I'm going to read it to you. This is where there's this lame man sitting outside of the temple, and he's begging. He's never walked, and Peter and John are coming by to him, and this is, and he asks them for the, the beggar asked Peter and John for money. This, this is what happens here. Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So here's this guy. He's never walked, and all of a sudden he can walk. Now, if it was me, I would no longer be like this emotionally. If I had never walked and all of a sudden Jesus touched me, I would be walking and leaping and praising God. Also, This is the proper and appropriate reaction to having been touched by the Lord. We see in Scripture there is is a uh, um, kind of a negative view on on, on being passionless. There is a negative view on being passionless. Let's look. I'm going to go rapid fire through these verses. So you want to go quickly here if you're writing them down or just pay attention. It says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So here's where there is no passion, there is no compassion, there is no love for those that are around. The love of many, as we approach the end times, the love of many will grow cold. To the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he is condemning or bringing a, a, an accusation against the church of, of Ephesus. He said this, I have this against you, O church in Ephesus, you have left your first love. In uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, to the church of Laodicea, he says to them, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. And so there's this the condemnation of being lukewarm. Here's another verse, Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently. And there it is. There it is right there, our word fervently. For you in prayers, that you may stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those 
are in Laodicea and those in Aeropolis. So again, this idea of, of fervency and, and zeal, this passion that we express in our service towards others and our service to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Fervent love, not just love, but fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of things. There was a man in the early church, his name was Apollos, and he was a dynamic teacher of the, of the word, except his teaching initially was only of John the Baptist. He had not heard about Jesus. And so this, is, this verse reflects part of his conversion here, but I can only imagine that he kept on going, now being directed to the truth of Jesus, that he did the same thing with respect to Jesus. It says in Acts 18.24, it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Ale- at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only of the baptism of John. And then uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, and then it, this goes back to the idea of how we should respond when Jesus touches our lives. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, I talked about this verse a couple of weeks ago, I think, and um, it's, it's a great thing to be able to cast out demons and to heal People, that, that's a, that, that would be a great thing to experience. But I tell you what, the greater thing is that we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Now here's the question I want to ask us. Do we regularly rejoice that our names are written in heaven? Praise the Lord that he has saved me and forgiven me of my sins. Amen. Praise the Lord that he has done this for me. Nothing else really matters, right? I mean, none of the healing and none of the provision and none of the fixed relationships, none of that really matters in light of the eternity that I have because my name is written in heaven. Because all these things are going to pass away, aren't they? And we will be with him forever and ever. Woo! Praise the Lord for that. And so we can look past all of the troubles and difficulties of this life. We can look past all of those things to the unchanging truth, the unalterable reality that in Christ I have eternal life and I will rejoice with him forever. So praise the Lord for that great work. Praise the Lord that he touched me and saved me. Praise the Lord for that. And so let us rejoice. Now, what if this is not talking about our spirit, but the Holy Spirit? Not, I capitalized the S there, you can see. Not lagging in diligence, but fervent in the Holy Spirit. Fervent in the Holy Spirit. What if, what if that's what it means? Well, if it means this, then what that means is that we are to be moved in our spirits by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say that there's a connection. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says this, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, the point I'm trying to make in this verse initially is that the Holy Spirit testifies or speaks to us, to our spirit. There's a connection there. 
So the Holy Spirit of salvation comes and dwells within us, and dwelling within us, there is this relationship that we have with God who lives and dwells within us. His Spirit testifies or witnesses to my spirit that I belong to him. And I think that this goes on throughout every aspect of our life. In this verse, it's talking about the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And by the way, there ought to be this ongoing sense in our lives that we belong to God. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we doubt whether or not we are saved. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, but have you ever doubted that? Have you ever struggled with that? Have you ever questioned whether or not you're really a Christian or if you're really saved? That is a good and legitimate question to ask. We need to ask ourselves that. But if we belong to him, here is a fundamental truth that God's Spirit testifies to our spirit that we, in fact, belong to him. So there should be this assurance that we have on a regular basis of our salvation. There is an assurance on a regular basis that we have salvation because God's Spirit speaks and ministers to our spirit, and he is always talking. That's another uh, sermon right there. So if you're struggling with your salvation this morning, if you don't know if you're really saved or not, there are a couple of options. First of all, maybe you're not saved. Secondly, Maybe you are, but there is sin in your life. And whenever we sin, it's going to disrupt our fellowship with him, and we're going to start doubting. Are we really saved or not? And so whether you are, if you're not saved, well, you can take care of that. Pastor, I don't know if I'm really saved, and I, I, want, to, I want that assurance. If you are a Christian and there's sin in your life, you need to repent. You need to turn from that. You're not going to have an assurance of salvation if you've got sin in your life. You have to repent and fight against it. And you'll have that assurance. The Spirit of God testifies with us. So we do not, when, when uh, we're to be fervent in spirit, fervent in the Holy Spirit, this kind of guards us against the kind of uh, drumming up the emotional bandwagon here. And we, we do have to be careful for that. Uh, there are some denominations that emphasize the intellect. So uh, as they emphasize the intellect, they tend to be kind of cold and, and uh, passionless and just kind of wooden in their service of the Lord. And uh, emphasizing the intellect is a good thing, but not, to, not at the expense of being cold or passionless. On the other hand, there are some other denominations in Christianity that emphasize the passion. And so they're, you know... Uh, really excited and just lots of energy and just woohoo all the time and running up and down and back and forth and um, but their their passion is to the exclusion of maybe what what is right and true and they just kind of are all over the place and never really understand the truth now the passion is good but you know you have to be grounded in the truth and so there's a balance that needs to take place. When we are fervent in spirit here, we're not just drumming up our emotions alone. It is not a, nil, a willy-nilly kind of pool of passion that we're to have, not a gush of emotion. It is to uh, allow the Spirit of God to move in us and to cause our passion to come as a result of the good things that He is directing us to. It is the result of the great things that are happening, a result of the greatness of God. And so the Holy Spirit then guides us to a proper zeal for the right things. Be fervent in spirit. Now, here's a quick uh, 
uh, exhortation concerning the Holy Spirit. As believers, we are filled with the Spirit of God. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells within us as believers, and we are not to quench the Holy Spirit. Now, what it means to quench the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes and He tells us, do this, we say, oh, you know, I don't really want to do that, or that's uncomfortable for me, or I'm afraid to do that, or I don't want to do that. We're quenching the leading of the Spirit of God. Don't quench the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Don't quench the Spirit. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. In other verses, we, can, we see that we can resist the Spirit, which is similar to quenching the Spirit. We can also grieve the Spirit. That means that when God, uh, there's a certain uh, grieving on the part of God when his children disobey or don't, you know, they disobey, they don't obey him, they don't walk in his ways. We can grieve the Spirit. So that's another verse. But instead we are to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, which leads to a fervency in Spirit. And so we bubble over, boil over, we are enthusiastic in the Spirit, by the Spirit. We are eager by the Spirit for the things of God. This is to characterize, this is what characterizes, a part of what characterizes our faith. So look, look again at the verse. I highlighted another portion of it, and I hope it changes my slide here, Ben. Is, is Ron back there? There we go, okay. So uh, we're to be fervent in spirit, not lagging in diligence. That word diligence there means to be eager to do something, ready to expend energy, swift to act. It's talking about going forward, getting right to it. The next slide, not lagging in diligence, not lagging in diligence. Uh, any procrastinators in here? Do we have any? Are we, some of you just got, yeah, that's me, I'm a procrastinator. Got any procrastinators? All right, this is kind of encouraging us away from procrastination. I, I think, in a certain sense, we're all procrastinators. We, we, in that we tend to put off the unpleasant or the things that we don't, you know, the things we don't want to do, the things that, you know, eh, I don't feel like doing that, we just kind of procrastinate, put those off. But, uh, hey, the good stuff, right? The stuff that's pleasant and comfortable and fun, hey, we get right to that. We're not procrastinators when it comes to the good stuff. It's only the, that other stuff that, meh, don't feel like doing that. I came across some procrastination jokes. What do you call a country full of lazy people? A procrastination. <laughs> I was going to tell another joke on procrastination. I think I'll tell it later. <laughs> All right. I laugh at my own jokes. I can't help it. So you guys just have to wait till I get over it. <laughs> we have this verse, don't lag in diligence. Be eager, enthusiastic, fervent, emotionally passionate in the spirit getting to it. It's, it's like this. So a group of you get together, and you start talking, and you come up with some great ideas. It is such a good idea. It's an important idea. It is a needful idea, and everybody recognizes it immediately. It is obvious. And so the response is this. Yeah, let's get to it. Let's do it. Come on, let's go now. Let's get moving. Let's not put this off. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a good idea. So like, let's do it. Yeah, let's go. That's what this verse is talking about. 
It's being passionate in the Spirit, not lagging in eagerness. It is a, this is a good and right thing. Let's, let's put our hands to it. Let's move our feet in that direction. And of course, we're talking about serving the Lord here. Serving the Lord, that is a good thing, right? I think we all recognize the importance and the significance of being able to serve the Lord. And so as we come across the opportunity to serve Him, as we have an opportunity presented to us, we should jump on that and take advantage of that. We should be moved with eagerness. We should, our passion should rise up within us to go about it, to get to it, and to not delay. Today is the day to serve the Lord, not tomorrow. And so let us serve the Lord. And I'll be talking about some opportunities to come in a moment. So we're to serve the Lord when there's an important need. Whenever we have a chance to put it to practice, then we should take advantage of that and not let it go by. Now, we are to serve, when we serve the Lord, our next point here, to help the household of faith, to help the household of faith. And this is where the focus of our service uh, is to, to, come, to come to us. In verse 13, so we, in verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Verse 13, and here's our focus, our next focus. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. This is where we meet the needs of others. And this is an important part of serving the Lord and our Christian duty and love to one another. We learned about the importance of genuine love, and genuine love sees the need that somebody else has and is moved to help the need. In our Sunday school this morning, one of our focuses was uh, the, the verse where it says, um, uh, the Lord says, you, when, when I was thirsty, you gave me some water. When I was hungry, you gave me some food. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. You all know what I'm talking about? And they say, when did we do that? And Jesus replies, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. So our service to God is to be out of a genuine love and compassion for those around us. And when we have that compassion for those that are around us, then we run to meet their need as much as is possible. And I think, honestly, we, have, we, do, we do a good job, but there's a lot for us to learn still in this area. And so we meet the needs of others. We are hospitable to one another. Um, here's some verses again rapid, in rapid succession. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. It says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. In other words, our hospitality is to be one with joy and enthusiasm and desire, not with, oh, I'm supposed to do this and I don't feel like doing this, but oh well, you know. No, not with, not with grumbling. Do it without grumbling. Another verse, and this is, this is a striking verse, Hebrews chapter 13, 21. And, um, you know, as we read this, we'd say, yeah, this, this, this could be really cool here. Do not forget to entertain strangers. So this is talking about helping the needs, helping those who are outside of the church. Strangers or people that you don't know anyways. For by uh, so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, wouldn't that be cool? You help somebody out and come to find out it was an angel of God. Woo! That'd be pretty exciting. 
So make sure you help that, that uh, stranger out there. You might be helping an angel of God there. Or, uh, you know, I, I guess an angel doesn't really need anything. If, they're, if you're helping an angel, it's because the Lord really wants to do a work in your own life. But uh, there it goes. So don't forget to uh, entertain uh, strangers because you might be helping an angel there. The next verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Now, as exciting as it is that I might have taken care of an angel, as exciting as that might be, this verse has to really come to the forefront of our thinking. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, we're supposed, that means we're supposed to help those that are out there, but we are really supposed to help those who are in here. And this is part of what being the church is all about. It is the family, community, connection that we enjoy with one another, and we serve one another, and if one of us has a need, we are to reach out and meet the need. A little bit later in verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. There is an engagement here. If you are going through a hard time and you are crying, then I'm supposed to come up to you and cry with you. And if the Lord has done something great in your life and you're rejoicing, then I am to come up to you and rejoice with you. So let us engage one another. Let us uh, take advantage of the opportunity to help those who are especially in the household of faith. And this is our service to you. Now here's the, the verse I alluded to a minute ago, Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Now it, it's interesting that there's an account in Abraham's life in the Old Testament. Three strangers come up to Abraham and he sees them and he immediately offers them hospitality. So he's, he's uh, ministering to these three people, and lo and behold, one of them actually turns out to be the Lord. And uh, I was just thinking about that as I read this verse. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was stranger, and you took me in. So here are these three, and he ministers to them, but it ends up that he's ministering to the Lord in his hospitality there. And, and I also want to encourage us. I'm, I'm going to flip the table here for a moment. Let's say you're the one in prison. Let's say you're the one who is needing of, of some food or some drink. Uh, let us remember to be thankful and grateful for the one visit and the one cup that we receive. What I mean by that is sometimes we have this tendency, well, I am needy, and one person comes, and then maybe another person comes, and we start to, I mean, we're thankful that they came, but then we start thinking, well, where's everybody else? Why didn't everybody come? Why didn't everybody come and give me a drink? And really, that's not the right kind of thinking. Uh, if we're all members of the body, but each have a different place, and if part of our gift of some people is to show mercy, we can't expect that everybody is responsible for doing that. If one member of the body does it, it is akin to the whole body having done it. And we must be grateful and thankful for the one cup that we do receive, for the one visit that we do receive. Praise the Lord that that person came to me and offered me a kind word and encouragement. 
Praise the Lord. Give praise for that one. All right, so that's if you're on the receiving end. But obviously today the exhortation is on the giving end. And this is where we are to be sensitive to others. Uh, If I'm supposed to visit you in prison, then I have to be aware that you're in prison. If I'm going to give you a cup of water, I have to know that you need a cup of water. And this is where I'm weeping with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm engaging you. I am interacting with you. I am talking with you. And as I talk with you and interact with you, I will become aware of what you're dealing with and I will have an opportunity to help. But if I stay off by myself and I don't interact and engage with you, I will not know necessarily uh, that you have a need and I will not be uh, presented with the opportunity to help. This is one of the reasons why church is so important. We need to come to church and we need to engage and rub shoulders with each other so that we gain an understanding of who we are and where we're at and what we need. So then we can mobilize ourselves and others to meet the need. So, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, another verse here. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And really, this is, this is the heart of the verse here. It says in verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. Distributing to the needs of the saints. And so as we minister to the needs that we have, God takes note of them. Now, meeting the needs of the poor is something that goes all the way back to the beginning in the Bible. We are uh, blessed. Uh, Those who consider the poor are blessed. In Psalm 41, it says, I mean, it says that. Psalm 41.1, blessed are those who consider the poor. That's when we think on those who are poor and needy, when we uh, uh, are aware of that when we're sensitive to that. God has always cared about it. And every time in the Old Testament where there was the meeting of the needs for the, of the poor, every time he exhorted the people to meet the needs of the poor, he is foreshadowing God meeting our greatest need. Because yes, I might need a cup of water and yes, I might need you to visit me in prison and yes, I might need you to visit me when I am sick. But my greatest need is that I have sin and it is taking me to hell if something doesn't happen soon. And that's where Jesus comes in to meet our greatest need. So every, every need that was to be met in the Old Testament was to be a pointer that there is a greater need that we all have and that only God can take care of that need. Only Jesus on the cross could meet that need in our lives. He died on the cross and shed his blood that my sin might be forgiven and removed from me. He rose again from the dead in victory that as he gained life, so I might gain eternal life. And thus our greatest needs are met. And so now for us as the church, each act of meeting the need of somebody else has to be couched in the understanding that I am meeting your need as a reflection that God has met our greatest need. And so it is a pointer to the gospel every single time we help somebody else. So we meet that need and point to the fact that he has taken care of our greatest need. Now I'm really encouraged in our church. I think 
in a certain sense, we really kind of, we move when there's a need in our church, and we make it known to everybody, and that's great. I want to continue to see that. Uh, so, many, so many have rallied to so many different people, and, and that's wonderful, and we want to see more of that. Uh, there's a couple of names that have come up just recently that I just want to put out before you. There's Linda Havens, who's had surgery, and she's uh, her recovery has been slow, and she's slowly, you know, trying to re- regain her strength, but uh, she might have need of meals. So you just be aware of that. That's somebody from our church that has a need, and when there's that kind of a need of someone in our church, we should run to them and find out if there's a way that we can help. Sandy Blackford and Henry Blackford, they have both gone through surgery recently, and they are Uh, faced with the situation of how they're going to take care of themselves, even if when they get out of the hospital and the nursing home and they're back at home. Both of them can barely get around anymore. And they they will have needs. Maybe someone to just go there and talk to them, or maybe to clean up a little bit, or maybe to provide some meals. I mean, there's a multiple multiple, uh, type of needs that they can have. So if you hear about that, just be ready to move. In the back, uh, we're trying to start a list in the back by the bulletin board. If you need something, you can write it on the paper. Or if you have something that maybe might benefit somebody else, you can write that on the paper. And we're trying to kind of bring together our needs with you know, the provision that other people would have. These are, uh, these are attempts that we're making in order to uh, make our needs known and to help one another, and to serve one another. And this is important. We have to hear, and to listen, and to be ready to do something about it as the opportunity provides itself. So I might not be able to meet your need personally, but somebody else right next to me might be able to. And that's how we work together. We, we kind of line up with what is uh, needed there. Now, there's, we also were a generous church. I mean, we rallied to help the Price family, Who's not, they're not a part of our church. We filled our baby bottles with our change and collected over $1,000 in change. Can you believe that? $1,000 in baby bottle change? It's like, what in the world? How do you even fit $1,000 of coins in baby bottles? We collected pounds and pounds of food for the rescue mission. Colin read it off a couple of times. We collected a whole lot of school supplies, including pencils. Now, this is my pencil. It goes back to the Galactic Starveyors VBS. I don't know, 10 years old? I haven't used very much of my pencil. <laughs> In other words, one pencil can go a long way, okay? <laughs> but we collected a whole lot of school supplies for, uh, for the schools, and that's good. I mean, the the baby bottle people, they're not a part of our church, and the Price family, they're not a part of our church, and Jefferson High School, they're not a part of our church, and the Martinsburg Rescue Mission is not a part of our church, and, and we should help in all of those areas. But when somebody here has a need, we got to jump on it. That's got to take our priority. So we keep on doing all of those other things, but let's be engaged with one another. So let's talk, and let's fellowship. And let's be here in order to engage. Let's uh, start to use this list, which is our mechanism right now, and let us talk to each other. And let us help one another. Let us distribute to the needs of the saints. 
with joy and with enthusiasm. So serve the Lord. Verse 11, serve the Lord, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Serve Him. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Let's do that as a church. And as we do that, we will do it in the name of the Lord. We will bless those that we help, and we will glorify the Lord as we do it. All praise be to his name. Let's stand as we worship with our last song here this morning. If you have a